Please turn your Bibles to James. We'll be looking at chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. That is James, chapter 3, 2 through 12. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and settleth on the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame, it is a truly it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless God, even the Father. Therewith we curse men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so be. Doth a fountain send forth the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive, olive berries, either of vine figs? No can't, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Boy, often it is hard to restrict what comes out of our mouths, isn't it? A little bit difficult at times. It has been for me anyway. Suddenly we find ourselves in a situation where we allow our emotions to take over. Something happens, something is said, one thing leads to another, and then all of a sudden we don't have control of our logical thinking, and it's simply straight emotion. Now, few people realize the importance of the words they speak. Words are important. That's how we communicate with each other, right? Words are important. We need to be very conscientious about the things that we say to each other. We need to be very conscientious about the the words that we say to our God as we worship. Words mean things, right? I don't think there's, there's any way to overemphasize that. I don't think there's any way to to overemphasize the things that we say, yet I think most people in the world do not even acknowledge the importance of what's being said or give almost no thought to what is being said. Have you ever heard of the man by the name of Og Mandino? Probably not. Most people haven't. I've heard about him because I happened to run across him one time in my studies. Og Mandino, according to uh, the 1930 U.S. Census, was born in, in uh, December, uh, on December 12, 1923. He was born to his parents uh, by the name of Silvio and Margaret Mandino. He was named after his uh, uh, paternal Italian grandfather, Augustine. After overcoming many difficulties in his life, which included alcoholism, uh, uh, suicide attempts, 
different things like that. He became a very successful writer and a speaker. And his works were inspired by the Bible. They were inspired by Napoleon Hill, W. Clement Stone, and Emmett Fox, among other talented writers. He was inducted into the National Speakers Association uh, Speaker Hall of Fame. So he's well known in literary circles, and he once asked this question toward the end of his life after he had been very successful. He asked, he said, Why is it then that so many of us go out of our way to offend others with criticism and offensive judgments that so often come back to haunt us? Why do we allow our big mouths to dig ruts in our path so deep that our forward progress is finally nil? Is this more of that will to fail? He continued saying, If your tongue has been busy accumulating enemies, uh, enemies you do not need who can harm you, now is a good time as any to cease and desist. How sad it would be for such a petty habit to destroy your great potential. Now, a quick reading of our text this morning, uh, a cursory reading might bring one to the conclusion that James is talking about a sinlessly perfect individual, someone who does no wrong in any way whatsoever. But when we connect that to the first verse, we begin to understand exactly what James means and about what he is talking. He's talking about the idea that at times people will stumble, they'll fall, they'll make mistakes in this life, meaning they... They sin on occasion. So about what is it that James really is referring? If he's not talking about a sinlessly perfect person and he recognizes that on occasion we'll make mistakes in this life and we will do things that that is not appropriate, that God does not wish for us to do. So what exactly is it that he's talking about? I think he's talking about that person that we all know in some aspect of our lives that we've run across, that, that we hold in high esteem that individual who can take care of their tongues. That perfect person, that completed person, is that individual who is able to control his or her tongue. You know, God has always commanded His people to be perfect. Always. But we have to understand what that word perfect means. He's always commanded. The children of Israel were commanded, Deuteronomy 18, verse 13, He said, Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. You know, several of those people to whom Moses spoke those words made it into the promised land and they died faithful to God, yet they were not sinlessly perfect. So exactly what is he talking about? I think what he's talking about is, and we have evidence that on down through man's history, when we look at the Bible, that we have been taught about and instructed on people who were described as perfect. We have Noah, Abraham, Job, King Hezekiah. We have Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, the parents of of John, known as John the Baptizer, Christ's first cousin. They were known as perfect, but they weren't sinlessly perfect. So when we look at this idea of being perfect in the biblical sense, it is absolutely possible for each of us to be perfect because what he's talking about is to be blameless. He's not talking about sinless perfection. 
He's talking about someone who cannot be rightly charged with living in sin. Someone who will sin on occasion, but who isn't living in sin. One of the hardest things, I believe, for a mature Christian to do is to be able to bridle, to take care of, to handle properly his his or her tongue. That's difficult, isn't it? Because that's how we communicate. We communicate with each other through words, and we want to express our feelings to one another, and sometimes we don't do it properly. That doesn't mean we're terrible people. That just means we need to take care of our tongues a little better, right? James said if we're able to control the smallest part of our bodies, we can rein in the whole body. If we can learn to take care of what we say, well, the rest of it, in comparison, be very simple, won't it? I think he wants us to use our tongues for good, and then we can turn our lives into what God has commanded us to do. We can do the things He's asked us to do. And in reality, when a, when a person walks closer to God and lives closer to God, then these things are easier to accomplish. And so we have to begin with, with the smaller things, right? I don't know that it's necessarily a smaller thing, but the tongue is a small member. But we need to get a handle on it, right? The improper use of the tongue has caused a lot of great damage throughout time and history. I want us to notice this morning, and I've entitled this sermon, What Did You Say? What Did You Say? I want us to notice this morning as we talk about the tongue, we talk about the use of the tongue, I want us to look at and understand some very important characteristics of the tongue. It can be good or it can be bad. We need to be able to determine we want to use it for good, we want to avoid the bad. And the first characteristic that I want us to notice is that it is a great influence upon other people. Tongues are a great influence upon other people, probably the greatest influence. Probably the greatest influence. But often, it is an influence of evil. And we don't want that, right? We don't want that to be the case. David told those who used their tongues for destruction and deceit, that they love evil, Psalm 52, verse 2, more than good, lying rather than righteousness. That makes sense, doesn't it? Someone who may use their tongues to destroy someone, they love that more than righteousness. Now, we're not talking about uh, having a disagreement with someone and that individual trying to destroy us. That's, that's not what we mean. We're talking about the extreme cases, right? We're talking about the extreme. But we have to be careful because one thing can lead to another. But David said, when you love destruction and deceit, you love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. And I think he's right. We're told, but most likely, known from past experiences, these people, right? that a harsh word stirs up anger, Proverbs 15, verse 1. You know, I've learned from experience. I learned it from experience long before I learned it through a study of the Bible that a harsh word stirs up a problem, right? My reaction to something stirs up a problem, or it can, or it can diffuse a problem. You know, people who are very charismatic and who are, uh, we, we see them throughout history who were leaders of movements, they could stir up a problem or they could 
get rid of a problem simply by something they said, right? And, and that's something to learn. That's something to learn. We need to understand how that is possible. Uh, we must never underestimate the power and influence of an evil tongue. We have to be very wary of it. We have to consider it. We have to be on our guards, right? It can destroy marriages. It can divide families. And it can wreck congregations of the Lord's people. 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 12. That's what Paul was talking about, right? He said, I got a message from the house of Chloe that there are some divisions among you. They are denominated into groups. You know, this one's of uh, calling himself after Paul. This one after Cephas, this one after Apollos said don't do that some are calling themselves after Christ but we all need to call ourselves after Christ you see and Paul wanted us to understand that an evil tongue can destroy a congregation it can destroy reputations it can can breed mistrust and it can motivate violence but it doesn't have to does it it doesn't have to that's a characteristic that the tongue can influence, it can influence for evil, but it can influence for excellence as well. And that's what we want to focus on. We want our tongues to exert an excellent influence. Proverbs 10 verse 11, Solomon said, The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. Have you ever been down or distraught or worried or fearful or hurt or add any adjective to the list and then... A faithful Christian, a friend, call you up and just with a few words, they make you feel so much better. They make you understand that you're loved, that you're not alone in this life. You know, I think Solomon was right. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. It brings you back out of that darkness in which we find ourselves from time to time. Who can measure the, the amount of goodness and blessings poured from the the lips of good men and women. Isn't it an encouragement to hear those things? Think of all the love, the comfort, the wisdom, and the inspiration that has been given just through a few words of encouragement from the lips of good men and women. Think about the faithful who have boldly spoken the truths of righteousness even at the risk of their own life. They've done that. And those who have uprooted tyrants from their thrones by the power of their good words. Christ destroyed Satan through his words. God destroyed Satan through his word. And it was spoken. Mary, Queen of Scots, once said that she was more afraid of the tongue of John Knox than of 10,000 fighting men. I can understand that. Just think about how many times the tongue has been used to preach the eternal truths of the gospel. Oh, isn't that amazing to even consider that? You know, think about people who have gone to, to various parts of the world and they've taught the gospel to people who had never heard the beautiful name of Christ. You know, I, I have been fortunate enough to have done that. To spoken the words of life to someone who didn't even know who Christ was. That's hard to believe in our time, isn't it? But they're still out there. You know, they've risked their lives, not, not me personally, but a lot have. So they can 
exhibit this characteristic of excellence. The tongue doesn't have to be an evil influence. It can be an excellent influence if we allow it to be. However, it can still cause problems in this life, right? That's one of the characteristics of the the tongue is its influence can be evil and it has caused injury over periods throughout the world. That's our second point. That's our second characteristic. It can be an influence, but it can also cause injury. The tongue is a powerful force of nature, and it's been described as such. In fact, James said it's like a blaze, a blazing fire that could burn down a great forest. The tongue can be a world of evil among the other aspects of a person, through the other members of the body. It can corrupt the whole person, can it? It can corrupt the whole person. It can set the whole course of life on fire is what James is talking about. It can head us in a direction which we do not want to go and is itself set on fire by hell. When we use it incorrectly, when we use it not as an influence of excellence, but as a tool of injury, it's like a blaze and and it is set on fire by hell and And all it takes is just a spark, right? All it takes is a spark and the whole area can be devastated by fire. We notice that in the the physical world. We're always reading about or hearing about fires out in California, out in the West. You know, not too long ago we had some terrible fires in our own location that burned up thousands and thousands of acres. And you know, it didn't start out that big. But it got that big. It started out with just a spark. Now think about it. Isn't that how all fires are started? With a spark. Whether you're using a lighter and you have a flint and it sparks the gas and starts the fire. If you're using a a flint stone and you're starting a spark to go into some tinder and then it begins a fire, it all starts with a spark. Something very small. And so we have to be on guard about the tongue. That's what an injurious tongue can do, though, can it? It can cause a problem. Solomon warned this, Proverbs 16, 27. An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is a burning fire. He also said this, Proverbs 26, verse 21. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Think about that. What is coal to burning coal? What is wood to fire? It's fuel, isn't it? It's fuel. We had some of our members go on a a train ride uh, on Friday. And, uh, you know, all trains at one time in history were used, they were steam engines, weren't they? They would use coal, and they would stoke the coal, and they would put it in, and they would burn the coal, and it would produce the steam. And you had to have fuel, so you had coal that was burning. Well, the fuel for the fire was the coal. So what, what's fuel for strife? A contentious individual. Someone who is dissatisfied and not happy and, and wants to keep the problem going. A person that can cause... A little trouble over something that is absolutely insignificant is just like an ember in a field of wheat. You know, think about 
uh, we're studying the the judges on Thursday morning, and I think about uh, Samson and and to uh, to harm the Philistines after he felt he was wrong. He took some foxes and he tied their tails together, and he he put some tinder on there, and he set it on fire, and he turned them loose in their in their wheat fields, their cornfields, burned them down. Doesn't take much fire to burn down a huge area, does it? Doesn't take much spark to start a fire. James also compares the tongue not just to a blaze, a tongue that would cause injury, but he also compares it to a beast. The only difference is all manner of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, have been tamed. Every one of them. Is there a creature in this world over which man has not exercised his dominion? Whales? Elephants? Name the creature. We have tamed it in some sense of the word, but the tongue remains untamed, right? At the time of creation, God commanded, Genesis 1, 28, He said, For man to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth moveth upon the earth. And after the flood, he described the relationship and how it was going to change just a little bit between man and animal. Genesis 9, verses 2 and 3. He said, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. Do we see the difference in, in lifestyle? It appears that prior to the flood that men were vegetarians. They ate the same foods that, that the animal world ate. It appears that that's what was their sustenance and it appears that there wasn't this natural instinct of fear. Right? It's very difficult to to go out and just reach down and capture uh, some type of a wild animal. I remember when I was growing up, I might have been three or four years old, I watched my dad run down a, a baby bunny rabbit. Well, the thing started running around the water barrel we had and instead of leaving out, it just ran around that water barrel and obviously he was able to just stop where he was and catch that rabbit. But the thing was trying to get away, right? Because there's a natural dread. Animals don't want to be around us. They fear us in some way normally, right? Well, even at that, we've tamed them. We've been able to tame them. We've been able to overcome them. But we cannot, for whatever reason, keep control of our tongues. We just do not exercise the necessary restraint. Sir Winston Churchill once said, The power of man has grown in every sphere except over himself. I think he's correct. I would agree with that. James called the tongue ungovernable and full of deadly poison. Now I think he's using extreme. He's making a point, right? The tongue is governable. That's why we're demanded to be perfect, be complete, be mature, control the tongue, right? But he's saying he's using some exaggeration to describe how something so small can cause so many problems. It's like the the rudder of a great ship, right? It's a small thing, but it guides the whole ship. So we have to watch and be careful. Many of you have watched as 
horses have been broken to ride or to work. I've watched them pull plows and and uh, 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 mules and things of that uh, that nature. But what happens once that that horse or that mule has been broken to work or to ride? How do we control it? Put bits in its mouth, right? Something that's small. You pull on it, it'll go in that direction. See, it can be tamed. You know, uh, once it's been broken, it, it becomes more gentle, right? It's, it, it becomes productive. How, how much good is an animal that is wild? It won't listen, won't do anything. You can't control it. You know what good's a horse or a mule or a, a donkey or something that simply is going to do what it wants to do and you can't break it? Are they of benefit? Absolutely not. They're not of benefit. What about a, a pair of oxen? Are they of benefit if you can't control them? I watched uh, often when I was in India on, on the occasions I happened to be there. They use oxen for a lot of things. They'll use them simply as travel. They'll hook them to a cart and uh, they put bits in their mouths and uh, they, they use them for work. They'll race them. They'll have those same oxen hooked to those same carts and they'll be racing right up the right up the road where the, where the motorcycles are and the cars and things of that nature. But if you can't control them, they're of no benefit. They can't be used properly. Our tongue is the same way, right? That's what James is talking about. We have to be able to control it if we're going to use it uh, as a benefit. You know, how often can we count on our tongues to never cause hurt? to never cause pain or to never let its owner down or those around it. How often can we rely 100% on our tongues to never do those things? I wouldn't make a blanket statement. But I haven't been able to rely on my tongue 100% of the time. And it's not because we're not capable it's because it's difficult. It's difficult. It goes beyond what we want, right? We don't want to put forth the effort when we make mistakes. The, the tongue is, has some, some great characteristics about it. It can be a thing of influence. It can be an influence for evil, but it can also be an influence of, of excellence. Now, at times it can cause injury. James says it's like a blaze. It's like a beast. But you know, one of the things that sticks out in my mind as one of the greatest characteristics of a tongue is its inconsistency. Its inconsistency, that's our third point. The illustrations that James uses in this aspect also comes from nature. He said that in nature it was impossible to do certain things. You can't get salt water from a freshwater spring. You can't get fresh water from a saltwater uh, spring. That's not consistent in nature, is it? It is consistent in nature that it's either fresh water or it's salt water from that particular stream. That doesn't mean that there can't be a freshwater spring come up from the bottom of the ocean through the salt water. But we're talking from that same spring, right? Think of our own plumbing at home. You can't have one line 
that is both hot and cold water. We always have two, don't we? We have one that's hooked over to the hot water heater of whatever kind we have, and then we have just the regular one that has the cold water on it. That's consistent. You know, things produce after their own kind, right? Genesis 7 verse 14. Grapevines do not produce pumpkins. Rabbits do not produce dogs or horses or things of that nature, right? But the tongue is inconsistent. Notice one of the promises that Israel received from God was that He would bring them into a land that had an abundant supply of waters and springs. Deuteronomy 8-7. Now they could count on those abundant supplies of waters and springs. They knew that they would not produce bitter water. Now that doesn't mean there might not be some, some water springs somewhere in that land that Produce bitter water. But he would put them in a place where consistently they could have fresh water and good water. I think it is still common uh, in the Middle East for there to be natural springs of water. You know, I don't know. The, the closest I've ever been to the Middle East is India, but people would go for miles. They would walk for miles to go to a, a well that was a natural spring. I remember... The first uh, hotel I stayed in when I was in uh, uh, Bombay, India the first time, it had a huge water well out in front of it. And this is a, you know, that was a, an odd uh, kind of place to be. You walk down the street, on one side you've got skyscrapers, and on the other side you've got third world country. Well, in front of this uh, hotel, and it was one of the nicer ones, and, and you have to understand that, uh, that's uh, comparatively speaking, it's not like a, a nice one here in this nation. But, but at any rate, it was considered a nice hotel there. I think that we paid $15 a night for it. It was probably a, what we might say a, a four- or five-star hotel here uh, to them. But it had, a, it had a well. It had kind of, you just dropped a bucket down in it. You just went over. People would walk. They'd throw their bucket down in it. And they'd pull that water up, pour that into their vessel, and they'd go. So it's still common in that part of the world. Now, some produce fresh water, some produce bitter water, but they don't produce the same. They produce one or the other. What cannot happen in nature, though, and think about this, this is how, how absurd this is. What can never happen in nature does happen within our own body, within our own persons. It'll happen in our mouths. You know, we can be encouraging, Two seconds later, we can be discouraging. We can be very loving, and then a moment later, we can be very hateful. We can speak the truth, and then we can speak a lie. But, but James doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just stop talking about the impossibility within nature of what goes on in our own mouths. He also goes on to talk about uh, things that are improper. Things that are improper. He uses the, the use of the tongue as a characteristic of something that is improper when it comes to spiritual matters. People will bless God, and then they'll curse their fellow man. Or one will bless God today when things are going well, something bad happens tomorrow, then what happens? We're not blessing God anymore. We want to blame God. We want to blame Him for what happens. You know, when things happen in this world, doesn't mean God caused it to happen, right? 
Everything that happens, God didn't set it into motion. Bad things happen, God didn't cause it to happen. I heard someone say, I was watching an interview and something terrible had happened, and, and the person being interviewed said, well, God had a greater plan for that individual. Look, God doesn't cause hurricanes to happen and to kill innocent people. It doesn't happen. That is a natural effect of the weather that has happened in our world, and it began to happen from uh, the time that God destroyed this world, from Genesis chapter 6, and the weather patterns have changed. Sin came into the world, and now things happen that we don't like. But God doesn't cause it to happen. Have you ever known a professed Christian who would use profanity when angered or upset? Is that going to help someone obey the gospel? You know, we talked about that in class a little bit. If I'm trying to encourage someone to obey the gospel and be a Christian, yet I live like they do in this world who are not Christians, why in the world would they be interested, right? That's not going to help our children to become obedient. It's not going to help our children to see mom and dad be the wrong influence in life, condoning things that God does not condone. That's not going to help them obey the gospel. David said this, Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It is the duty of the child of God to offer daily sacrifice to God. Now, we do it differently in the Christian age. We offer up the fruit of our lips, Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. You know, it isn't, it isn't okay to use the tongue in ways that are inconsistent with Christianity. Excuse me. It's not, it's not, it's not appropriate. Just because we may think it's okay to be rude or to be unkind doesn't make it acceptable. Just because someone says, uh, well, you know, that's just the way I am. Have you ever heard someone say that? It just really bothers me. Well, that's just the way I am. I'm just sarcastic and rude. That's just the way I am. Well, you know what? You better change the way I am then, right? I better change that because that's not the way God is. And people who are in heaven are not that way. So... I can't just say, well, that's just the way I am. You know, Christianity is about change. The the tongue can be a source of great things. It can be a source of great learning. It can be an influence to the world. It cannot cause injury. It cannot be inconsistent if we want it to be. But we need to do the things that, that God has asked us to do. It's our obligation, I think, to learn to control our tongues. We learn to control other things in life. Let's control our tongues as well. Let's be mature, complete, perfect Christians. I think that uh, if we allow our tongue to control us, then sin will run rampant in our lives. You know, with our tongues, notice the things that we do. We confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God with our tongues, right? We acknowledge our belief in Him by that confession. When we make mistakes as, as, as faithful Christians. Maybe we step outside the light with our tongues. We acknowledge our confession to, to God. And we acknowledge our repentance to our brethren and to God. With our tongues we do that. You know, with our tongues we ask that, that someone help us to obey the gospel of Christ. And that is that faith that we talked about, that repentance that we talked about, that confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And you know what? The Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip in Acts chapter 8, 
with his tongue, he asked, he said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He made it known to Philip with his tongue, I want to go down into that water and I want to be baptized. And the scripture tells us that both he and Philip did go down into that water. And he baptized him. And when he came up, he went on his way rejoicing. That's what the tongue can do, but it can be inconsistent. But that's not what we want. We want to always be working to control our tongues. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, whether it has anything to do with the tongue or not, if you've never obeyed the gospel, obey the gospel today. If you need to repent of sin in your life, make that confession. Whether publicly or privately, ask God to forgive you and He will. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.